0: World of Work podcast with James and Jane. Hi, this is James. I wanted to let you know that as well as these podcasts, we deliver at least one free online seminar every month that you're welcome to attend wherever you are in the world. You can learn more about them and register for them via our website, www.worldofwork.io. That's www.worldofwork.io. Hi, everyone, this is James and Jane and welcome back to another episode of the world of work podcast here we are again um today we're going to be chatting about the change curve so we'll do a little bit more of that in a minute but uh if you want to get in touch um you can check us out on the world of work or
1: you can follow us on twitter at the wow podcast where we'll uh, make sure that we share some of the additional resources and slides afterwards
0: yeah cool so uh what have you been up to how's your week been
1: my week has been how has my week been do you know what I've had a great week yeah. I've had it's been unseasonably sunny if cold yeah
0: it's been nice um,
1: I've I've made my sh- my my tweet I've made so for those of you who aren't listening in real time I have thought two months ahead and already set my next year's goals which I'm really pretty, that, really excited that's about
0: that's unusually well planned so I, well I'm, done
1: it's unusually well planned and very unusual for me yeah Uh, excellent work but i do try and do it in plenty of time so that i can start thinking about how actually i'm going to fund some of it
0: (laughs) yeah got these great dreams but need to get money i'm going to invest in myself somehow yeah good well i've had a good week too i've had an unusual week for me in that i've been doubly musical and two different types of things so i went to the opera (gasps) very exciting went to the rigoletto it was actually really good so yeah that was really good um but also, within a couple of days of that, I then went to another concert to see a band, a Canadian sort of rock, alt-rock band called Metric. So there we go, like all all swathes of music in a couple of days. Which I think they are called
1: Metric, I quite like that.
0: It's kind of fun, isn't it? Right. Yeah, it makes me think, uh, anyway. Yeah, so that, so that was pretty good, so I enjoyed that. Anyway, um, that's not too much associated with a change curve, which is our topic for today. Um, So as ever, we're going to be doing what we do. So we'll give you some definitions that we think are helpful for the change curve. Um, I will do a bit of a research roundup looking at the change curve itself, how it relates to individuals going through change. This is really, you know, um, a bit of a, a theoretical mapping around how people respond to change. So so we'll look at what it means for individuals facing change themself, uh, themselves. And we'll also look a little bit at what this means for people maybe helping others through change. And as ever, we're focused mainly in the world of work. Um, So that's Research Roundup, then we'll have a a list of a week, Um, so list of a week we'll be focusing a little bit on some things that maybe uh, cause people to start the change-curve journey in the world of work, Uh, we'll be sharing some stories from a keyboard from our different experiences in the world of work, Uh, we'll have some final thoughts for you, some top tips, then we'll be checking out and saying goodbye. So I think that's the plan for today, so uh, do you want to kick us off with some definitions?
1: Yep, great. They're pretty straightforward this week. Um, just some basic vocabulary uh, terminology that we're going to use. So Merriam-Webster talks about change uh, as the definition to be to change the makeup, organisation or pattern of something. Um, Oxford Dictionary talks about restructuring as organising differently. Uh, Cambridge talk about uh, restructure as to organise a company, business or system in a new way to make it operate more effectively. So that's much more a, a situational um, definition, and I. I, I I'm not going to go into the details of whether things operate more effectively, but I assume that's the ambition, if else.
0: Yeah. yeah,
1: it's a goal, right? Uh, it's a, it's, it's yeah. a life goal. Um, so organisational change, also from Cambridge Dictionary, talk about a process uh, in which a large company or organisation changes its working methods or aims, for example, in order to develop and deal with new situations and markets. Um, so the restructure is often what comes out of the need for change in an organisation, Um, And two, three very specific words related to this process. One is grief, which might be a surprise to some listeners and not Mm. to others, but we'll explain why in a minute. So the uh, dictionary.com definition of grief, keen mental suffering or distress over affliction or loss, sharp sorrow, painful regret. It's quite poignant, is. It's pretty tough to say out loud when you read it. Yeah. Um, So that's the first. The second is coaching. And we're going to talk about that because quite often... Uh, change we're talking about the context of coaching people through change so the icf the international coach federation definition of coaching is partnering with clients in a thought-provoking and creative process that inspires them to maximize their personal and professional potential so when you think about that in the context of coaching people through change that's quite a lot to ask it's a huge Uh, it's a huge ask to get someone through a change and also to inspire them to maximize their personal professional potential but it does actually help contextualize it yeah And then the last, um, the last one I wanted to just uh, touch on was the definition of transition from Sloshberg in 1981: an event or non-event resulting in a change in assumptions about oneself and the world, thus requiring corresponding changes in one's behaviour and relationships. Which I think, um, I think gets lost. It does, and I think that's concept. a great definition. Yeah, I I, think... I, 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 I can't claim it myself. Uh, my lecturer shared it with us during a lecture, and it really stuck with me to the point where I wrote it down. Mm. Um, because I think it helps people understand their own situations quite a lot. So that's everything from our dictionary definitions this week. Cool.
0: Okay, so let's jump into a bit of research roundup. And we're talking about the change curve. So I imagine a lot of people know about the change curve, but I'm sure not everybody does. Um, So really the change curve, it's a graphical representation of how people's, I guess, morale and engagement varies over time. in response to a large change, right? So how do people feel um, from the point of something being introduced to their lives that causes them to change over the coming days, weeks, months, maybe even years, depending on the scale of the change. So that's the change curve. in terms of its history, um, the change curve actually comes out of some work by a woman called Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, who focused very much on how individuals respond to grief. Right. So the loss of somebody near or dear, I guess, in its most fundamental sense is the, the often considered source of a moment of grief. So you lose someone dear to you and you start a grieving process. So Elizabeth Kubler-Ross studied the process of the emotional response that people have to such a loss. Um, and as ever, anything in the world of psychology like this that's useful often gets... Um, I guess, transformed to some extent into something that's applicable for business. So, (laughs) as ever. um, So people reviewed the work that she'd done around how people respond to change um, and took that work and decided, well, you know what? It's not just about the loss of a loved one or or a loss of something important that instigates grief. Um, That would be the initial starting point for a change. It's it's all types of things that would probably lead to a similar set of sort of emotional responses over a similar set of time. So they took the Elizabeth Kubler-Ross model brought it into the workplace and I renamed it as the change curve and used it as a way to describe the emotional responses people have to an instigator of change over a period of time. So essentially that's what the change curve is. Do you want to add anything to that Jane? Do you think I've missed anything or? No I think it's
1: really really good. I think um, it's a really simple explanation. I think the important thing to understand is it's a journey like you say. Yeah um, and so it has it's over time yeah. and I think people forget that quite yeah, a lot about change. And the
0: timescale could vary, right? I mean, and it just varies
1: depends. per person. I think it's really that's another thing that changes. Yeah, by, yeah, yeah. Varies yeah. per person. Um and I think the other um thing that's quite important to understand is that there's since been well, I'm not sure if it's since or around the same time, but there was definitely some work around um looking at transition that noticed that uh it was applicable not just to negative experiences but quite often to positive ones too. Yeah. So going through the period of transition, there's slight differences, but ultimately they all start with a shock and they have a crisis point. Yeah. So um, I think it's it's important to understand that change can come from what appears at first to be a good or a bad place. Yeah, but I mean, it's that's still really change. important.
0: Important thing. Yeah, yeah. So people like stability, right? I mean, change is uncertainty; it's discomforting. So be it positive or negative, people have a bit of a challenge. Yeah, and
1: I guess the bit that I'm really interested in about the research stuff, which I'm still sort of getting to grips with myself, is what is uncertainty and what is change? And yeah. how can you split out yeah, the yeah, impact yeah. of the effect? So if you manage change so well that there is no uncertainty or limited uncertainty, how how much is there still an effect? Yeah, I'm interested in that.
0: Yeah, and and I think that's, like you said, difficult to do, but it's certainly an aspirational direction for leaders to, to head in, is to try and minimize that.
1: It's the biggest part they can play, right? Yeah, yeah. As well as making sure the change is valid and useful and well implemented, but that's a whole different story.
0: Yeah, not easy. Um. So I'll I'll run you through the change curve in a minute, but one other thing I wanted to say that you kind of alluded to there, um, Jane, is you said that people go through the change curve journey at different speeds. And I think that's really important to call out, particularly if you're a leader thinking about this type of thing. So there's several different things going on here. Um, So individuals, I guess, innately respond to change at different paces. So if you're leading a team and you're introducing a change that affects everybody, some people will progress through that change process, or this change curve more quickly than others. They just naturally will. So when you're looking to manage and lead your team, you just need to be aware that different people will be in different stages at the same time. So that, I guess that kind of implies that when we're, when we're coming on to talk about how to lead through the change curve, um, it might not be a one-size-fits-all approach. So that's the first thing to call out. You need to be cognizant of how your individuals and your team are feeling about things. The next thing that I think is really important to call out here, again, kind of reflecting on the leadership piece, is that It's not just your innate, you know, sort of change responsiveness that will dictate how quickly you go through the curve. Um, Also, how long you've been aware of things um, and how much information you have about changes affects it as well. So we'll (coughs) we'll probably speak about this when we look at um, some thoughts from the keyboard. But when leaders lead change, they're often much further along the change curve than their teams are. And people sometimes forget how much further along the curve they are themselves as leaders than their teams are. So if you're leading through change, you need to really step back and remember that other people in your team will be at different points, not just because of their, you know, their innate change responsiveness, but also because of the amount of time that they've had and how far along that temporal journey they are. So that's enough waffling about bits around this. Let's actually talk about the curve itself. Um, so the change curve, say starts at a mid-level and what it says is something comes along and it's an instigator of change. And when that happens there's a bit of a shock right so somebody's shocked at the start of a change then what happens next well then people tend to deny it right so particularly if it's a negative thing you tend to say well that's not really happening or it's not happening to me or it won't affect me so for a little while we often see morale for lack of a better word that's what we'll use for our vertical axis increasing a little bit so people are like well this stuff's happening but it doesn't affect me you know, I'm kind of impervious, you know, I'll never get hit by that bus, whatever it is. <laughs> That's a bit of a negative view, but you know what I mean?
1: Win the lottery is always the yeah, example. I yeah, yeah, right? okay,
0: well, I'll never win the lottery. Um, and so um, so their morale tends to go up a little bit as they they deny what's going on. And then a little bit later on, people get a little bit closer to accepting it. And what happens then is they get angry, right? So what tends to happen then is with the anger comes a desire to blame other people. So I'm angry. It's your fault. Why are you doing this to me? This isn't fair, all that kind of stuff. And some of that negativity comes out and and there morale starts to fall down and it it heads down below the point at which it started before the shock happened. And this is all in a broad phase of disruption. So, so after anger it tends to come something along the lines of bargaining. Um, and here people start to think about um, a little bit around blaming themselves and saying, oh, is this my fault? What can I do to resolve this? How can we get out of this? I'm sorry that I led to this, things like that. Uh, and leading on from bargaining, you tend to get in towards sort of depression, which is really the bottom of a curve. And down here, it's, it's leading up to this crisis point, but here individuals are, are kind of lost, they're uncertain. They don't really know what's going on and they're kind of miserable about the whole thing. They can't really yet see solutions. You know, they're, they're clouded by the negatives without being able to see a real way forward. And that's really when you're at the probably the darkest part of the response to any kind of change. It, it's kind of a hopeless period, and it's sort of crisisy, right? I mean, stuff sort of falls down a little bit, and people don't really have the, the will or the drive to to progress through it. And as you start to come out of depression, people start to explore what the future could look like, and they start to be able to visualize what the future might be. They start to rationalize a little bit. Um, you start to make se- sense of some of the causes of a change. But also start to reflect on um some of the the practicalities and specifics of what a future might be and and that's the start of this sort of acceptance phase and as you start to visualize the future and start to accept it people tend to move a bit more into activities like problem solving and trying to figure out okay well if this is the way it's going how can i make the most of this what can i do to get a good outcome for myself how can i help others along this journey how are we going to make this work Um, And and people start to explore the future through that stage um, and really come to accept it. And and that's the real bulk of the change journey kind of completed. And by the time we get there, morale tends to be above where it was before the shock and people are on a new journey and heading towards a new future that they've explored, that they're fairly accepting of and that they probably see as as a way to um, create something good for the future. And then as we move out of that, Particularly in sort of business language, we start to get words like um, commitment Mm -hmm. and you start to look at people being committed to the new change and individuals starting to move on. Um, So that's my potted summary of the the change curve. Have you got any thoughts on that?
1: Uh, I've always got thoughts changed. Yes, I know. It's a great question to to (laughs) ask. Catch uh, catch all, isn't it? Um, I do, I think, um, like a lot of the stuff we look at in psychology, um, there's various... Rumblings around how good the evidence is, although interestingly, there's some there's some data coming out of uh, Scandinavian countries around it <laughs> it projects of all things oh. that actually shows some really good evidence around okay. it. I think it's important to understand that the the original cycle was never meant to be about organizational change yeah. and like everything we talk about, things were things were created way before they were trying to help businesses. Um, I really like it. I find working with senior leadership staff it is one of the most effective ways of explaining to them what's going on and actually asking them to individually consider where their team are. Yep. Not as a group and not most importantly, like you said, where they are. Where are the people you're working with? And um, the other thing we talk about is slope. So we talk about the change curve on a slope. And there is some evidence to suggest most people move around at a pretty similar rates. But the whole point of a normal distribution, the whole point of this science is that most, yeah. which means that there will be people who move faster and slower. So it's really important to track where your team are because it will stop you as a manager from having to deal with things like, you know, phone calls at eight o'clock in the morning one day when suddenly someone has a panic because you've realised they've moved yeah. very quickly to realisation of what it means, uh, for example. So I, find, I think it's a brilliant model. I think it's really effective. And one of the things I really love about it is that for me, it was the first time that it was shared with me. I've been through a lot of restructures, non-profit. But uh, it was the first time that I heard in important meeting rooms with important people emotional language used. And I think that's because it comes from a grief model. Yeah. Um, It was really powerful to have senior leaders when I was quite junior using language that acknowledged that emotions play a part in business performance. And they should and they will because you need to get people through these emotions in order to get them to a place where they are happy for me it was the first time that i started to consider that happiness impacted organizational research
0: yeah oh good um i think there's a lot of good stuff in there i, I was just thinking as, as you talked about about you know the fact that people often go through at a fairly similar pace and I, I think that's right one thing that it made me think of though is that people tend to go through it linearly um but you can be pushed back as well i mean you can you can kind of accelerate your pace through it but some stuff can happen that sort of pushes you back to an earlier stage. So, you know, you might have gone through anger and and be kind of depressed and, and, you know, um, starting getting close to that journey towards acceptance. But if you're managed in an inconsiderate or inappropriate way or something happens there, you can easily revert back to anger. So if you learn at that point about something that makes you feel unfair or triggers your values you can step back a little bit and suddenly be angry with your organization again and have to go through that process and without
1: question it's where I've seen value stuff in personal value stuff into play the most and I would also say um, that organizations they' real I, I, I yeah everything you just said about understanding that the way you behave with one employee can impact everybody's change curve. Yeah, that's a huge I have, I have absolutely seen consistently people badly behave, uh, badly treated, or just thoughtlessly treated. Yeah, is actually, the word yeah. I'm looking for, and it whip through an organisation by lunchtime, particularly if you're all in one venue. Yeah, it's contagious. It's it's astonishing, very, very contagious. It's um. um so one of the things, right? one of the things that we talked about a lot in the most recent time I went through this was how can we treat every single person as an individual the best we can? Yeah. And you know, for example, we didn't have when we went through a restructure we didn't have a single meeting in one place. Every no one was asked to travel more than because we were a remote organisation at the time. No one was asked to travel more than a certain distance. Um, Everyone was given the option to talk amongst themselves. There wasn't. um, Everyone was dealt with quite individually and uniquely. Um, And it wasn't perfect because it never is. Um, But if you do, I've I've seen it time and again where like entire organisations have been put in one ballroom and just told. Yeah. And you're like, really? Yeah. It doesn't. (laughs) Is that a good way way of helping anyone? Yeah. Oh, we're all in it together. Well, we're not because some people in the room know what's going to happen and some don't.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I and mean, some people have known for a long time. And yeah. yeah,
1: but I think I think as a model, and that is what it is. I think it is useful. I think it brings that number one. It brings that feeling of emotion in and allows people to start talking about it. Number two, it recognises that people—it's a curve and therefore people are at different places on it. Um, and number three, I think it gives people some language that is useful in articulating how they feel, particularly if they are uncomfortable. If, they can, if you can show it to them and say, how are you feeling? Are any of these words resonant? Do you feel yeah. like this is a process you're going through? It can help and it can make them feel okay. I think some people, particularly early careerists, quite often feel like um, when they're going through change, good and bad change, like they're not meant to feel like this, like it's yeah. not professional. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it kind
0: of normalises it. And oh,
1: and it does. It totally, it totally makes me know everyone's going through it. Just, you know. Yeah. I might have been through it five times, so I might be better at handling and predicting and managing my behaviour around it.
0: Yeah. One thing I'll say is that, you know, the language that I used there is a bit of an amalgam of the different change curve models that are out there. So if you look on the Internet, you'll find a whole series of change curves ranging from the original through the different interpre- interpretations and lenses for business. So so what I've talked through um, pulls together points from all of them. And you can find your own, you know, you can find your own yeah. models out there. But
1: I tend to look at Hobson. I know a lot of people sure. look the original Caleb Ross.
0: Yeah, and they're all broadly similar. So this gives you a sense of what we're talking about. Um, the other thing I wanted to touch on before we look at you know how to respond to this is you talked about getting your leaders to to plot um, in some conversations where their teams are. I think it's really good to do that. And I think it's really good to have them also plot where they are versus where their teams are. So you know we've done activities where we've had, say, a group of leaders in the room and said, okay, why don't you as leaders plot individually where you are so we can see where the leadership is Um, Now, having done that, I'd like you to step back and think about how much you've communicated to the teams when you did that and where you think your teams are on this. And I think that's a really good way to draw up the fact that leaders do tend to be a good few stages ahead. Yeah.
1: Um, And I also, uh, so the other things that I think come in into play here are, have you been through it in this context before? Absolutely. Have you been through it in another context before? And what else is going on in your life? so one of the things that we really encourage I really encourage leaders to do when they're about to go through a transition is if they're in a small organisation or medium sized organisation particularly make sure they know if anyone else is having any other major transitions so really interestingly when I started my Masters and my Masters is part time and it requires a lot of balance there were 70 of us from across the world sitting in a room because we came in for the first weekend and our lecturer who also happens to be a lecturer in careers which is hilarious so she's actually lecturing us about this stuff she stood up in the first session and she went the most best chance you've got of being successful is not to have any life events during your two year masters and we all we all looked (laughs) at her and went you're kidding right and she was like look I understand you can't stop you getting ill your family getting ill uh, you can't stop winning maybe you can stop winning the lottery don't buy a ticket but she was like the stuff you can control control so don't get married don't plan on having kids in the middle of it um because it will it, it, it fundamentally you will be going through too many transitions at once yeah. and your brain w- will just really struggle and you won't get the best out of it and she talks about when she starts teaching the transition stuff she talks about how important it is to understand that you might have two similar personalities similar experiences but if one of them has a private situation going on and has not disclosed it yeah. such as uh i don't know a parent who's unwell or yeah. Yeah. or whatever yeah. and you don't know that you have got to understand that will have a massive impact on their behaviour through the curve. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Um,
1: because they might be doubling. Effectively, the magnitude could be doubled.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is like working memory as a concept and, you know, the emotional
1: drain. Yeah. Of and just things. and just the consistent message around understanding that a lot of the reason that we need to be aware of it is around mental health. Yeah. And it's is, is an unspoken thing quite often that we don't really say the real reason we need to check on all this stuff. Yes, we want a better performing organisation. We also make, need to make sure no one goes under the bus.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So so that's kind of what the change curve is. Um, so a quick recap. You get shocked by a change. You initially go into denial. You then maybe become angry and blame other people for it. Then you go down into a depression where you're inactive and unhappy about things. And then slowly you you come out of that. You get through that point of crisis and you start to accept the change. And then once you've accepted the change, you can start to move on. So that's, that's fundamentally what the change curve So the next bit we're going to touch on is, um, you know, as a leader, how do you respond to people in these different stages, right? I mean, you go through different things and, and if you're leading a team, then you're going to have to work with people as they go through shock, denial, anger, depression, acceptance. And what you want to do as a leader through this is, is you want to help people through the curve because fundamentally, regardless of what the change is, getting through the curve faster and with the least amount of disruption is the best thing almost always for you as an individual and for your organization. So again, the role of a leader is to help people with that. And we want to explore a little bit what some of the different ways of leadership are that might help people um, when they're at the different stages. But I guess sort of overarching this there are a couple of themes as well around, I guess, just the way that you work with people. And we'll, we'll do a deep dive later on in some of these models, but you know, transactional analysis is, is an important piece here. So a transactional analysis model is basically a model of how you interact with other people do you, do you treat people as peers, do you treat them kind of as subordinate children or, or do you look up to them and treat them as I guess sort of superior adults would you say that's a fair kind of description, high level of transaction? Yeah I think it's
1: yeah, the way, the way certainly the way I've learnt it it's about um, and, and which of those will then encourage other behaviour of the others because the dream is obviously that you treat your peers like adults yeah. and you behave like an adult and everyone behaves like adults but uh the idea is, if someone else is behaving differently, how can you maintain your adult status rather than, you know, yeah, then responding in really the, yeah. a really not helpful way.
0: Yeah, so so I think you know, overarching this whole thing about leading others through change is is a an overarching message to treat people like adults, you know, treat them kind of like your emotional peers, treat them like grown-ups with their own set of emotions and their own set of rational decision-making frameworks and their ability to to act in an adult way. So. You know, in all of these stages, you should be treating them like adults and you shouldn't be making decisions for them. You shouldn't be imposing things on them. You need to let them explore. Um, And I think that's the overarching, you know, high level message around it.
1: I would say be really, really clear as well what your role is and isn't going to be within your team. Decide how much of yourself you are willing to give comfortably that's going to work for them and work for you and stick to it. And have that down somewhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Be really clear. Because yeah. you can get really easily, particularly if you're someone who uh, is quite engaged with your team on an yeah, emotional, emotional social yeah. level, then you can get really dragged into to stuff, yeah. and it, it's not helpful for them.
0: Yeah, they yeah. need it's actually
1: not. what they quite often need is someone who is honest, open, direct, and can just tell them the status quo and then let's. But you know, you can identify other people to support them. That's yeah. helpful. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: And you can help them through the change curve without being um, an enabler of you know slowing this stuff down. So you can help them through the curve without giving them solutions, without overly sympathising with them. Because all those types of things um, tend to be unhelpful in, in you know, helping people through yeah. the change curve I think
1: the, the biggest thing I've learned, and I, I, it's true in most models of behaviour, but be really clear about what role you're going to provide yeah. and perform, and yeah. then perform that role. Yeah. And then don't perform any other role, but signpost. Yeah, And I think, um, I think that's where I've seen it most effective.
0: And things like team contracting and stuff like that, you know, ways of working contracting can help with some of that definition and exploration of Absolutely. what's expected of people. Um, so let's look then a little bit at some of the things that leaders can do to help people through the different stages here. So if we think back to the start of a model, and again, you know, these slides are up on the web so you guys can have a look at those when you're ready.
1: Yeah, actually, I would really encourage, um, we're going uh, to put the couple of models up yeah. when we put this episode out. So that actually, if you want to have it in front of you and you want to look at it in front and you don't know it, it's really useful yeah. while
0: you're talking through it. Yeah, that's right. So very early on in the model, when when somebody goes through change, they're kind of shocked and they go into denial, right? So here, individuals don't really think that this stuff's happening or they don't think it's happening to them. So what's the best role of a leader in this environment? Well, the best thing that leaders or managers or coaches can do in this this type of situation is just to communicate facts, right? So people think it isn't happening. So just be really clear on the facts. Don't be emotionally involved. Just, you know, answer fact, uh, answer questions. Make sure that facts are really clearly laid out and things are simple, right? And it's just by saying things in a simple and clear way that's honest and open that you'll help people get over that denial. So, you know, people will, will think it's not going to happen to them. And all you can do is reiterate the core messages of what's going on in an unemotional way, I'd say, to, to help them get up to speed with that.
1: I think, uh, so just two things of like that and you might cover it but one is uh, this is where you really want to remember what you know about your workforce so communicate in every way and be consistent yeah. so when we do when I've been through this we've done it on paper we've had verbal conversations we've done uh, slides and we've done and we've given everyone everything and we are yeah. like you know you pick and you go and there'll be the person who reads five minutes and then goes and thinks about it yeah and then be the person who reads every piece of information um, but I would say that and the other thing I would say is slightly I would slightly tweak my approach in comparison to what you said, I, I think you can be you can share emotions without being emotional, and I think so. One of the most powerful things I've seen is a CEO expressing regret for uh, the situation and sharing how he felt when he first realized, but did it in a really unemotional way. Yeah. So he didn't make it uncomfortable for anyone. Yeah, but yeah, he was yeah. really clear he had been on this journey for a bit longer. But at the beginning, he had felt, and it was like he was giving them permission to say, yeah, yeah, you know, I feel a yeah, yeah. But I would definitely agree, what, the, what you don't want to do, if the last thing you want to do absolutely is get emotional yourself. Yeah. That's yeah, dreadful. Yeah, yeah.
0: And, and sometimes emotionality clouds the fact. Um, so So sometimes people need that stark information, I yeah. think, to help them through. And that multi-channel approach that you talked about you know, verbal communications, written communications. Without
1: question, I've watched it done verbally and I've watched 90% of the room only hear the first sentence, which yeah. completely def- destroys the point yeah, of bringing yeah, them in the room do. in the first yeah, place.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and on the flip side of that, if you don't tell them the stuff till the end, then nobody listens to the stuff at the beginning because they're all waiting for the big message, right? Yeah. I mean, it's hard, hard to get it done. Um, so then after that, people go, you know, into this sort of angry stage. It's, it's, it starts to be really disruptive to their work. individuals going through change as i said they start to blame other people and point fingers and and then they move on to starting to blame themselves and when people are in this blame environment as a leader it's it's quite a difficult situation um and i guess kind of the best thing you need to do for your team the best way through is to be a listener right so so you want to listen to what people say you want to acknowledge what they say you 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 want to hear them um but you, you when While you're hearing them, you don't want to do any more than hear. You want them to know that they've uh, had a chance to speak and that you've listened to and you've understood what they're saying. But what you don't want to get drawn into is agreeing with or disagreeing with any of the sort of emotional content and interpretation of what they say. And you know, if you go into that sort of agreement or disagreement or offering solutions, then, then you kind of become an enabler Um, And you'll slow down their ability to get through this curve. So it's kind of hard, but you
1: just listen. It's super hard. I'll tell you why else it's super hard. It's because there are legal processes when you come to organizational restructure that have set time frames. And quite often you're moving your uh, process at a different speed than suits the the majority of people you're working with, either too fast or too slow. And um, my experience is that in particular has been incredibly challenging to deal with. Because on the one hand you're meant to be listening and actually responding to people's thoughts on what you're wanting to do, and on the other hand you're trying to be aware that emotionally they're in very different places. Yeah. And they're not they're not ready, or they're too ready. Yeah. Yeah, it's Um, difficult. So I find I've I've found that very difficult in the past, and I've seen it struggle with others as well.
0: Yeah, it's not an easy time. Um, but you know the guidance would be just listen. You know, do your active listening, do all those types of things, use some of those coaching skills around the listening um you know you can ask some questions but don't offer solutions um yeah. and don't jump in and say oh yes isn't the world unfair i mean that's the last thing you should do you, you...
1: i'm i'm feeling it too yeah they don't care no that's not what it's about even if you are feeling it they don't care Yeah, you don't want to be aligned
0: in this stuff what i would be... say
1: though is um be really clear at noticing move... so we were talking earlier about contagion yeah so how emotion can be catching um And I think it's one of the really important things is getting lots of people in organisations to be aware of where the mood is going in certain teams because it is helpful to other leaders to understand what they might be seeing coming around the corner.
0: Yeah, that's a great chat. So sharing your observations um, with other leaders is a a really good point.
1: And you don't have to, that's not about um, necessarily any sharing private conversations. It's about I get a sense from a big team as a whole, this is where the emotion might be going. Yeah, yeah.
0: And you could just as a leadership team plot where your team are on the graph. I mean, that's a useful thing. Yeah. Share lessons. Um, So once individuals progress through that sort of angry stage of blaming people, they go towards the the latter stages of disruption where they're kind of, um, you know, bargaining and they're a bit lost and they're kind of confused. um, And they're not really sure what's coming. And and it's here that people start to to think about learning more. Um, And around here, people can, you know, can, let me say that again. Around here, leaders can start to provide a little bit more gentle guidance um, you can start to focus a little bit more on the future. You can talk about, you know, some of the positive things that are around the horizon. Um, and by doing that, you can you can kind of help steer people towards a better future for themselves and, and a better appreciation of what's coming. So when individuals are lost and confused, it's the time to start with gentle guidance. It's not about being directive. It's none of those things. But it's just starting to have conversations about what's coming up. Um, And then, you know, that's people going through that sort of uh, stage of disruption, bargaining, a bit depression, but starting to look to the future. And then you can kind of help guide them out through that. Um, And then things get a bit more kind of exciting and active from the leadership perspective when individuals start to rationalize. So as they start to come out of this depression stage and they start to really envisage the future, then what you find is individuals tend to start asking questions about the future that are sort of speculative. Questions like, I wonder what this will mean. How will we do this in practice? What do I need to do to make this work? How am I going to transition more quickly and effectively? And when people start asking those questions and and moving towards that acceptance piece, leaders can start to respond, uh, I guess, a little bit more positively. So you can start to build on those nuggets of future-looking positivity and build enthusiasm. Um, You can maybe offer a bit of support. Um, You can help people towards finding solutions. Even if it's just giving people time to work on finding solutions, that's great and that's a, an investment in nourishing their investment in a, in a better future so focusing on stuff like that is good um, and leading um, leading in that, that way that gives people the space to focus on good things is really helpful and, and individuals from there work towards starting to solve problems um, and again you want to give them space to solve those future problems you want to help them invest in those um, and and you know As you go through this curve, in terms of keeping the business as usual or day to day tasks going, what you'll find is that earlier in the stages, so during denial and anger and some of the depression, people might need more directive leadership because they're not in a space to think and and be sort of creative about how they work work themselves. So therefore, therefore, your leadership needs to be fairly directive. But as you get to this later stage and people are being um, are exploring the future and accepting the future, you can step back from some of that directiveness and be a little bit more coaching, provide a little bit more empowerment and autonomy, and let people start to create and shape what they want the future to be. Um, And then as you start to move out of exploration towards sort of rebuilding and commitment, then you step back even more. And hopefully you you then start to set future goals, you start to work with people around what's on the horizon and leave people more of a space themselves to figure out how to get there. So at a high level, that's kind of what it feels like to me. It's, um, You know, start with clear facts, be directive where necessary, where people are struggling with some of the work because they're distracted. As it progresses, you you start to help people focus a little bit more on the future, increasingly provide support. And as you transition towards um, the completion of a change curve, you start to empower people more and and provide a little bit more autonomy so people can reach their goals. So that's kind of my summary of of sort of leadership through the change curve.
1: It's really good. Yay. I think, um, I think... Just reiterating, at every stage, you do have this constant battle between HR and legal process, and yeah. how you want to support people, and you have to be aware of that as a leader, um, and know that you may be limited in what you can do directly, yeah, because of the requirements of where you, what you need to be doing in the process. Yeah. And I think the other thing is understand that some people will leave the cycle, yeah, um, and and you know, quite often it's it's not necessarily the people you want to leave the cycle, yeah, um, in the sense that. Uh, if people are very have been through it before and they know how they feel about it and they know how long they believe or they perceive it will take too long for the organization to get on back on a level pegging they will leave because not everyone uh particularly i think people who deal with change relatively effectively if they if they know that or they believe the organization is not going to deal with it particularly quickly because everyone's going through it much slower than them they'll just go and find somewhere that isn't going through it
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, or if they're really good at thinking about it, they might think there are better opportunities elsewhere, and they're less concerned about that um, change and yeah. less risk averse, so they'll just jump anyway.
1: Yeah, and I think that's um, that's one of the reasons why you really need to think about the reaction to uncertainty versus change as a leader, mm-hmm. and who has that uncertainty, because certainly in my experience in organizational restructures, particularly and actually location changes as well, um, it affects people differently, and. Um, the implication is that some people handle change really well actually look at look at their situation maybe they're dealing with it well because they actually live really near the new location or yeah. whatever and actually they're getting credit for something that they don't deserve credit for and vice versa people are getting critiqued because actually it's the store the straw that breaks the camel's back for them yeah
0: they hang nail on the friday afternoon i heard it described as that type of stuff right uh, that's another phrase for the uh, nice straw that broke the camel's back okay so, so that's kind of a high-level, you know, research, um, research rundown on, um, research roundup on uh, all things change curve. So, the change curve, um, people get shocked. They go into denial. They become angry. They become depressed, and ultimately, they they start to accept and explore a future, and then start to commit and rebuild towards um, a, a better future after the change that um, that's affected them. Yeah,
1: I think it's probably worth mentioning that um, the transition cycle that Hobson Hobson uses also maps out uh changes that you initially think are going to be really really good yeah and he he mimics it and he he says that basically it's only the beginning that's different um so you might instead of having a shock a negative shock you'll experience it as a positive or excitement um and then instead of the denial you're in it's still denial but it's a honeymoon he refers to it as a honeymoon denial. yeah so you're in this denial where it's all going to be perfect yeah, it's going to be amazing because yeah, 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 yeah. this good thing's going to happen but ultimately, the argument is that you still hit a crisis point and you still have to reconstruct and yeah. rebuild. And yeah. I, um, I really like that. Uh, I think it's a really important thing because I think all too often organisations do things that they benefit someone and have no understanding of the fact that they will still go through a transition. Yeah. yeah. Good um,
0: change is still change, right? I mean, it...
1: Good change is still change and there's still you still need to manage that change. Yeah. Um, so uh, that's my buckle bear. Yeah. But
0: anyway. All right, well, you touched on a few things there that I think lead us towards, I guess, our list of the week. Do you want to run through a list of the week?
1: Yeah, so we decided, um, actually, and this was James said, it's a great idea, uh, to identify five really common situations um, that can trigger the start of the change curve uh, and maybe talk a little bit about some of the differences between them. So uh, the first is changing an organisation structure. The second is changing your job. So that might be redundancy, that might be getting a new job, it might be a promotion. The third is changing your boss. So it might be losing an old boss, getting a new boss, becoming a boss yourself. Um, And then uh, the fourth is changing the geographical location of where you are. So office moves, uh, moving the whole office or you moving uh, to a different office within the organization. And the fifth is changing of organizational process. So things like new IT platforms, is, uh, it's a huge and, one. Well, it's a huge one and really interesting um, that some of the data around this that comes out of the Scandic countries is yeah. around IT change. Because um, my first experience of the change curve in practice was actually around IT. Was well, it? Not about organizational restructure. Okay. I uh, My experience was having a bunch of volunteers cry. Okay. Uh, they, they would have been some 40 years my senior crying in their living room with me in front of a computer yeah. telling me that their job was no longer going to be required because they couldn't do it. And me explained to them that that was nonsense. They had forty years experience doing something that none of the people who could work with computers. We just had to find a volunteer who could help. You, help them. Yeah. You. And um and actually for me, that's why that situation is why I so firmly believe that the the grief analogy is great. Yeah. Because it's about grieving for a situation that you were comfortable in, or had accepted in yeah, some form. Yeah.
0: Well, everybody. I guess kind of unconsciously has created a future for themselves yeah. and a change, no matter what that changes means that you need to give up your certainty in that expected future. So I think grief's a great, yeah. great analogy. So,
1: um, so yeah, I, uh, it, it's astonishing the things you go through sometimes in life, isn't it funny? And I just, I, it has stuck with me, um, for nigh on 20 years that is singular experience. It's a powerful moment. Of, yeah. I mean, I've just never, never felt so out of depth in all my life yeah uh, and probably still haven't actually yeah. in all the things I've done anyway yeah. I mean, so much so difficult. those are the five situations um that we're looking at I, I guess it would be useful to talk a little bit about um, how some of those might differ yeah um, particularly I think um, one of my frustrations is that uh, I've been through a major office move yeah um, and uh, it astonished me how the lack of understanding because it wasn't an organisational restructure how little and this is a long time ago and i think yeah. it would be different now but how little was understood that people had valid emotions both practical like it was going to cost them a load more money yeah because they were going to travel differently and parking but also how they were minimalized and how they were castigated as people who weren't on the bus yeah heard that phrase yeah. get on the bus or go yeah it creates divisions doesn't yeah. it? yeah and um and I just, it, the fr- level of frustration of that for me was, was huge. So I think um, there's something really important to understand that some people, an office move would be really exciting.
0: Yeah.
1: Some, and that's a really interesting example because actually quite often where you'll get downsizing, lots of people feel quite similarly. Yeah. Yes, people might start to see there's opportunities for themselves, but generally they will tend to feel quite sad. Yeah. And they'll see it as a negative uh, because it it's, may well be to do with the performance of a, an organization. Whereas office moves can be really divisive. Because by nature, they're going to basically affect some people better and some people worse. And people build into silos based on how they're feeling about it and where they are, which I just think is astonishing.
0: I think it's a great example because the other things people will think of. So people will think of restructuring as a catalyst to start this process. But quite often people will just think office move. That's fine. But really, it affects people. You know, all these things affect people. The
1: best part of the Office Move situation was a very brilliant lady, and she is brilliant. She's a very excellent program manager, was put in charge. Mm. And I have never seen such a meticulously planned Office Move Okay. from a logistical point of view. Okay, it was yeah, yeah. yeah. Im- I mean, you could not want for anything. Boxes were turning up as you'd ordered them, in the size, in the shape, pre put together, with labels on them for what was going in. I mean, it was astonishing. Yeah. The tours of the venue were per. everything was perfect and there was just a complete absence of understanding about people we were leaving a really really um, uh, traditional place that had at its very historical roots the organisation's heart and soul yeah that's powerful and it was extraordinary how people didn't understand that Mm-hmm. They were like, we don't want to go to a new building, but it's beautiful and it won't be sweaty anymore and you won't have to like be freezing in winter. Yeah, yeah but we like where we are. It's not our home. It's not <laughs> our home. Yeah. Um, so that one, and I think also, um, I think the other one that I think is really interesting that people don't think about is um, changing boss. Yeah. Um, I, It's really interesting. I've seen quite a lot about getting a new boss and working with a new boss when you're in an existing role. I don't see a lot about losing bosses. Yeah. <laughs> not like as in you lose them, but like as in they go away. <laughs> Where they go? I had, I I had one little one. And I, <laughs> um, I think I massively underestimated it from a personal point of view. Yeah. Um, how I grieved for our, our relationship, and mm-hmm. I had this new relationship, and I was like, "Well, this is all right." Yeah. But I want that one too. Yeah. Who's my old boss? And um, yeah, I found, and I, I suspect that has something to do with the fact that pretty much every single boss I've ever had, I've kept as a friend because I've That's not powerful. really wanted it. Well, it's, I don't, I don't like letting go. Yeah. I think basically. Yeah. Um, so maybe I'm just not through the change curve yet. Oh, that's not a bad thing. But, um, but for me, I think the really powerful thing for both people going through this and people helping people go through this is to recognise that when we talk about change, any change that someone feels is big enough to, to trigger this cycle should be accepted and recognised. And, you know, you as a manager don't get to decide when people, when a change is big enough for someone to have this experience, yeah, because it's not your choice. Um, it's about understanding where someone is on something, and uh, I think all all of those changing your job, your boss, your location, um, your systems, uh, or the organisation itself changing, I think, um, trigger slightly. They're the same curve, but they trigger different numbers of people and different groups of people so for example when you change a system there's a bunch of people who've probably been calling out for it who are bloody
0: yeah, dancing in yeah.
1: the uh, corridors of your building and then there's probably someone quite quiet hiding in the corner going what does this mean for me I've always put in that information and yeah. now there's a system to do it or what you're automating the whole process what yeah. does this mean um, and so for me those it's it, I just think it's really important to understand all of those different types of scenarios and I'm sure there's more I'm absolutely sure there's more but those are the ones that
0: just gives a range for
1: people to reflect yeah I think it's also interesting that things like office moves and IT processes are nearly always managed by very logistical it's a technical technical people and um, for uh, HR staff particularly and leaders please 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 understand it's not just a logistical process yeah
0: I think we're getting ready to move on to some thoughts from the keyboard, but I just wanted to ask your thoughts about um, the change curve in relation to getting a new job or a promotion. Oh. So we, we talked earlier about how, you know, this sort of change curve can be triggered by positive as well as potentially more negative changes or more challenging. Mm. ones. So have you got any thoughts on how, you know, or why you go through a change curve in relation to something so ostensibly positive as getting a promotion so
1: I think uh, you know uh, we were talking about this earlier and I think positive uh, experiences uh, the actual classic I will give you is um, when I was in an organisation that got a new CEO yep and it was a CEO who was well known to the organisation who was coming back to the organisation and everyone was really really excited and I remember sitting there going you understand he's not going to come back the same person he's been gone for 10 years he will come back and he'll want to do things and everyone's like no it's going to be amazing we'll be parties in the street yeah um, and for me that's quite similar to getting a new job something really positive happens yeah. and do you have the shock yes because you didn't expect it and everyone it's just it's a different kind of shock right? Yeah, so yeah. you get that initial gossiping and that initial like oh and there's a heat to it and then there's this kind of high plateau rather than a low plateau so rather than denial you get this this kind of uh, as I say he refers to it as honeymoon period which I yeah. love because yes, so. you're like yeah. oh it's, it's going to be amazing yeah And then um, there's a steep down curve, much steeper actually is the argument than when you've already sort of had your bad news, where you go through what they refer to as uncertainty, losing confidence and confusion. Yeah. And I think losing confidence is really key. When you get a new job, you're really excited, right? And you're like, they believe in me and I can do this. And then you get in and there is this period where you go, I can't do this Oh yeah. my life why did they I all think, think I'm an I idiot could do it. Yeah. why would they accept me oh there's a guy who's already in the team why hasn't he got the job he's way smarter than me Yeah, um, and all of that and confusion about what you do and not knowing where you go and then it's at that point that the two that the positive and negative converge into a crisis point and the idea is that there is this turning point um, where there's this internal crisis and it's, this is the point at which you accept and begin to acknowledge the change in its truest form and begin to turn towards rebuild. Yeah. Now the challenge is with new new people with new jobs. If they do not understand this curve exists, and particularly with new jobs or a or a big promotion or um, a restructure that really benefits you, um, if you do not recognise this curve exists, you will not recognise where you are. Yeah. And if you don't recognise where you are, you will bottle it or you will leave, or yep. you will fail. Yeah, or you won't you ha- stick with it. Or like, you won't yeah, stick with yeah. it, or you will genuinely start believing this ridiculous narrative in your head that you can't do it. Yeah. Uh, and so, one of the really important things is to recognise that point at where you're like, uh, hang on, I really wanted this. And it, the way I would describe it, my mum has been saying to me since I was very young, be careful what you wish for.
0: Yeah, I've had that phrase as well.
1: And... Um, it sticks with me and I use it I used to be quite scared of it because I'd be like oh oh, she was right be careful what I wish for and now I've got it and I don't know what to do and now I use it like a mantra or a badge of honour because I'm like right I wished for this I wasn't careful I've got it what am I going to do yeah how how do I make it how do I make it better how do I get from where I am I'm stuck with it because I went and I have a real thing I think it plays really well to my ego which is this concept and I think it works really well when you're coaching people particularly who've gone after promotion yeah um, where you get to a place and you go, hang on a minute, you went after this. yeah. So you cannot opt out unless it's like bad for you. Yeah. If it's just that you think you're no good, no, you you went for this. Yeah, so there now was, let's a, work there out was a how version of you, you that thought you were exactly. Right there was a, I love that. There was a version of you that saw this future, yeah. but not this future where you've got crisis yeah. points. So yeah. let's get you to the future yeah, that yeah, you yeah. want to be at. And I think that's a really good way of doing it. And I think, um, that again, the words that you, you use around grief are really similar. Letting go. Yeah. So letting go of what you thought it was going to be like and actually accepting what it can be like. Uh, accepting. So this concept of accepting what the real situation is. It's like when you get a new job and you think it's brilliant and you find out you've got half a budget. Yeah. It's not the dream. Even though you never knew what the budget was in the yeah. first place. You, you pitched for something that like, yeah, 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 yeah. And you get there and then it's this testing and then you build this new confidence. Yeah. Um, and you have a confidence in your transfer, and it's a you know it's the butterfly. It's where you emerge out and you go right. There has to be a chrysalis bit. There yeah. has to be a bit where you're in is chrysalis. Is that the right? Word? Yeah, yeah. Day, yeah, Yeah. There has to be that bit where you go in and you're like, oh, what am I going to do? What am, mm-hmm. what is my future going to look like versus what what is the idealized future that I've created?
0: Yeah. Do you know like um, system U or, or theory U or something? Like this, right? No. What's this? No. So there's um there's like a, a new sort of approach to change um, auto. Somebody rather out of MIT now from one of a German university. MIT, you do yeah, surprise I know, me. I, um, I forget his surname. System U or Theory U, um, and some of the words you used there reminded me of it. And it's it's a it's a, another sort of model of change, but it's very similar to this. And you need to let Theory go. U and theory Presenting Presency. change
1: and improve behavior. Otto Sharma.
0: Otto Sharma. Oh, from it. the yeah, U Lab. Yeah, yeah, U Lab stuff. I- yeah. So some of your words there really reminded me of it so he within this model talks about letting go to let come and that whole journey of change meaning uh, being you know encapsulated by a need to let go of something before you can go through that transition period to let something come in terms of a new future so you know his linguistics Copy a lot of a negative curve of a change. So curve. I've got
1: it up in front of me, yeah. um, And his linguistics, uh, it is literally a you yeah. And he talks about pre- it's called, He's written a book called Present, Presence,
0: Presence, yeah. Okay.
1: Um, and his curve. If you imagine the U moving from left to right on the U, down and up, downloading past patterns, suspending, seeing, redirecting, sensing, letting go, presencing, so connecting to the source of the problem. Who is myself? Who, what is my work? And then letting come, crystallizing, so being really clear in your vision and intention. Enacting, prototyping, embodying, and performing. Um, so I'm from what I'm taking from it, it is this ability to recognize what was gone before and see the flaws in it.
0: Yeah, and be willing to let it go. And yeah. willing to let
1: it go. Come back to yourself. Yeah. Looking to the future, understanding and crystallizing, and having really clear what you want. Yeah. And then starting to test and move through it. And um, I, I have I don't know who this guy is. I'm gonna Google it. Yeah. Well, I'm googling it now. I'm gonna read more of it because my bet is there's a lot of language in here that is based off top Yeah, because particularly the stuff around testing and uh, embodying and prototyping is really similar
0: yeah so I'd I'd love to do an episode on um, theory at some point and the u-labs and stuff but we'll do that another time I just thought it crossed
1: everybody well yeah no it does it absolutely does Um, and uh, ooh it can be traced back to Buddhism, Taoism, and Suf- Sufism. Oh, how Please, interesting. Please, can we do a spiritual, religious... Well, you know what? ...handover of management models? My
0: final thought's going to be from Taoism, so we'll come to that. How, appropriate. how funny. Okay, so should we jump on to a few quick stories from
1: a keyboard? Yeah, Anything you want to touch on? Absolutely. Um, uh, should you want me to stop? Yeah, why don't you... Uh, why don't you okay, so... Um, the one I want to particularly talk about is I was working in a team and it was one of the most high performing teams in an organisation that was performing okay yeah um, as a, the organisation they had no problems but it wasn't brilliant we got a new um, we got a fancy new building yeah um, and this high performing team had built some really high performing, performing uh, behaviours and cultures within their little office it used to be a very compartmentalized building. It was old. It was pretty gross. So siloed, in and they were siloed because what they'd done is they blocked themselves, They perceived they'd blocked themselves up against mediocrity. Fine. The organization was running okay, yeah. but they wanted to be amazing, yeah. right? And they did lo- physically. They made the space different, so there were posters up, right? Was-
0: Identity, yeah, yeah. They built had uh,
1: they had incredibly tight emotional relationships. They were very close together, yeah. But they also believed in making everyone friends, so they uh, used to have signs on the doors to ask people to pop in to get chocolate, yeah. Um, and they wanted to connect. The organisation moved to an open plan, beautiful building. And as an organisation, the organisation benefited hugely. There was huge cultural change that was uh, instigated by the change of space. Um, lots of processes by HR were put in which were much better. And as a whole, the organisation thrived. Yeah. But in doing so, this high-performing team lost their identity because everything about who they were different was being knocked out by this organisation. And that's the right Fun. thing to yeah, happen. Yeah, yeah. I want to be really clear. I don't think anyone in the team thought it was the wrong thing. But they grieved for it. We grieved for it. We yeah. watched it. And we watched our our, our our own personal team identity be deconstructed. Yeah, it's hard. And we had to figure out who we were in this new setup. And there was a period of denial where everyone just kind of behaved the way they had in an, in an old individual office. And we were like, we can't do this. Yeah. We have to be different. The organisation is different now. And actually, we we have to not hold ourselves up as the great this great high performing team, and we have to ask them not to as well. Yeah. Because we want to be different. If yeah. we're going to be good at being this wider team, yeah,
0: then it's we have to be we have change. to be a team
1: player. Yeah. In in a different way. Um, and it was it was a it was an extraordinary period of time because none of us saw it coming. Yeah. You know, we had some really smart, admittedly not career extensively experienced, but really smart people in the team and we had talked so much about the change
0: yeah
1: and we hadn't spotted this yeah. and it, it just happened overnight yeah yeah,
0: yeah. You, you overnight just it coming, um, had had it. habits,
1: behaviours everything that made us who we are
0: changed yeah. yeah
1: and we were so we were not for six yeah performance absolutely crashed yeah because no one knew what to do no one knew where to have meetings because we had such a different culture to everyone else we used to have games in our in our um, operations meetings because they're quite boring at times. Yeah. But we had to get through them. So we used to have games and throw sweets around. And suddenly we had these glass-walled meeting rooms. We were like, we can't. Yeah. The CEO can see us. We can't be throwing sweets around. Yeah. That's not who we... And it was, oh, it was fascinating.
0: That's interesting. And it's it's a great example of things to look out for when you're thinking about change So yeah,
1: that's I guess that's my point. My, 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 the reason for the story is just... You know what? You will get hit for six about what can trigger the change curve. Spot it. That's yeah. the thing. Look for it. Look for something's changed. You can never predict, you can never always predict where it's going to come, but look for it because yeah. as soon as you find it, you can figure out how to help people through it. Yeah,
0: no, that's a good one. Um, and my sort of story is it's just a sort of a, a moment in time that really stuck in my mind, and it's from a um, uh, sort of a announcement and restructuring as well. And over the course of my work, I've done a fair bit of work sort of planning and delivering restructures. Um, and the language we use is in the organizations I've worked in, you've gotten a, an announcement that you announce that a change is coming, and then you'll go through a restructuring process, and then you'll have an outcome three months later or whatever mm-hmm. it is, depending on, on the thing, on, on the length of the process and the scale of change. Um, and for me, the first time I worked on one of these projects and you're off in your closed-up project room, uh, you do all your stuff, you get used to it, and then the announcement comes. And I just remember being in an office when the announcement came out. Uh, of you know changes and restructures coming and just looking at the total disruption across the whole floor and this was a floor of maybe 200 people that that I was in um, sitting in at the time and everyone kind of gets up and leaves their desk and everybody's off leaning over other people's desks having conversations all the work sort of stops and you can just see this massive effort amongst everybody here to to come to terms with the start of this shock Um, and for me that that sort of energy spent getting used to that announcement was such a powerful thing of of or a powerful image in, in trying to capture the scale of disruption that these things bring.
1: Oh, that's amazing. So you always talk about return of investment. Yeah, I do, yeah. Um, my biggest frustration is that organisations don't accurately calculate the cost of transition. They mm-hmm. calculate it based on desk moves and people lost. And they don't calculate it based on it that. Yeah, time lost and morale. And, and people just going through the motions while they figure it out. yeah. Anyways. That's a
0: huge thing. Yeah. Okay, so final thoughts, top tips? Any final thoughts? Yeah,
1: for one for me. Um, it's it's a two-parter. Respect and accept. So respect how people feel Yeah. and accept that you cannot control either the speed they go through the curve or that uh, you cannot control and that you cannot control their feelings. Yeah. Um, be direct, be open, be compassionate. People will remember that. That above yeah. everything else.
0: That's good. They're, you know, people's reality is their reality. It's no good thinking about it differently. It's up to them, right? And yeah,
1: don't be annoyed with them. Just that's that's not actually that's not a top tip. That's just frustration. Yeah. Don't Be annoyed with people because they're going through it slowly. That's ridiculous. Yeah. And that's yeah, true. I've seen it millions of times. It happens because people get leaders get impatient. Yeah. They're like everyone else has been through it. Well, this person matters as much, actually. Yeah. Deal with it. Yeah.
0: Okay, and you know, I I said earlier when we were talking about theory, of you that my sort of final thought was going to be. <laughs> kind of aligned to that um, and this was actually something I listened to ages ago on the radio, a program about Taoism and there was a, a little example in there that stuck in my mind about this and um, I guess the, you know, the message of this is that being quick and accepting of change is helpful for you and all this stuff about the change curve, the reason we're speaking about it is it's around helping people through the turmoil and disruption of change in a way that's good for them and the analogy of a story that comes somewhere from Taoism is about stones in the river and it's stuck with me well. And it it says there are two types of stone that exist in a river. There's the type of stone that's slightly embedded into the bottom of a river and static and the river flows past it and all those little bits of the river flowing past wear that stone down. So the stone that's trying to hold the river back is the one that gets worn small. And there's another type of stone, which is the type of stone that isn't anchored in the bottom of a river but moves with the eddies and swirls of a river. And that stone transitions to new and different places. Um, and it doesn't always know where it's going, but it remains its in, uh, more of its integrity over that journey. So it doesn't get worn down by the river. And for me, there's something really powerful about that around the fact that fighting against change can be really emotional full. You know? I mean, it can take a real drain on your time. So for me, there's something about trying to get through the change curve fast, because it's better for your own sort of emotional integrity and i guess your well-being to some extent and i've seen some examples of people who accept change quickly and i've seen examples of people who fight against change and in nearly every example the people that accept change quickly and move on have in my view better well-being and, and better future outcomes for themselves so i guess that's a bit of a sort of preachy final thought but i do I,
1: I am fascinated to we've, we we talked to uh, in a previous podcast about personality types yeah and I am always quite interested in the concept of how people who are particularly open and agreeable um are whether they are able to move through change curves faster um because they are I'd say openness, almost certainly. Yeah, because they... And also, well, agreeableness, the idea of trying to very... Quite, quite often, people who are agreeable want to bring people together quite yeah, quickly. Yeah, yeah, So they the accept too. it because what they want is to get everyone on the same yeah. page. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, that's a good
1: point. Um, I don't have any evidence. I'd just be really interested. Because no? I think it's, uh, it's an interesting place.
0: Yeah. Cool. So that's our final thoughts. So um, today, we've spoken to you about the change curve. We've done some definitions, a bit of research roundup, talked about what the change curve is, where it comes from, uh, how you might want to lead through it. We've shared our list of a week, which is around um, some events that can lead to the start of a change curve for people, shared a few thoughts, had a few top tips. And now it's time to check out. Or, yeah, get in touch with us on Twitter at The Wild WOW
1: Podcast. So uh, until next time, it is goodbye from me.
0: And it's goodbye from me. Hi, thanks for listening to this episode of The World of Work Podcast. To learn more about what we do, please check out our website www.worldofwork.io where you can read some great articles, learn more about the seminars and courses that we deliver or even support us if you wish through our Patreon page. That's www.worldofwork.io. Thank you.